would love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, where we will spend some time here today in verses 26 to 39. Hebrews 10, 26 to 39. We have been on a journey, of course, for some months through the book of Hebrews, and we have seen Christ presented in all of his glory as the greater prophet, priest, and king. We have seen the writer unfold the, the, how Christ's sacrifice is better, accomplished better things, the greatness of Christ compared to Moses, and all the way down, we have seen Christ presented in all of his offices and all of his glory. Now, along the way in our journey, I'm looking at the part on your notes called today's text. The writer has used a couple of different methods to motivate us. These are methods both time-tested and well-used by parents around the world. One is simple teaching. And so this book has been about Christ. It's an exposition of Christ. And the second tool that he uses is warnings. Parents do this. We warn our kids. We, uh, sometimes too much. This is going to happen. They say, well, it didn't happen last time. Well, warnings, warnings come. We are well-warned people. Every time you buy something, it comes, as you know, with warning labels galore, which I know that you read uh, and pay attention to. Uh, well, warnings, warnings, they come. Uh, and so the text that we have in front of us today has a, a section of warning and then a section of exhortation or, well, a, a response to this warning, an antidote, I call it, for falling away. Well, we'll see those in turn. But I would, I would like for us to, to pray together and ask for God's help in the text today. Uh, I so long for us to hear, I mean, really hear the word of God. Sometimes, you know, Jesus talked about that, you know, having ears, they don't hear. Well, we want to have ears that hear, really hear the word of God as the spirit of God enables us to do so. So I'd like to pray for us uh, to that uh, to that end. Father, we open the word of God with great joy, and we we pray for the work of the spirit of God in us to hear the scriptures to treasure it, to love it, to embrace its truth, and then that we would respond to it in faith. So, Lord, be our help now in the time that we have uh, to, to hear and to understand. Work in us is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, on your sermon notes, you see a couple of things. You see a section that remembers with you some of the other warning texts I'll let you look at that. Uh, the first one, of course, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And the final one, don't be sluggish. Those are the two little fill-ins. But each of those uh, represents some element of warning. We've talked a bit about those texts. But then you see my two headings, don't neglect or reject Christ, and then the antidote for falling away. Those are the two headings. And so I want to read uh, the portion of Scripture before us, and you'll see how those two headings capture the two paragraphs. All right, so let's look together then to the text and hear God's word then. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire 
that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall or remember the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. God's word. Now, there is a sense, I think, in which verse 39 serves as a summary of both paragraphs, certainly feeding off of the quotation directly before it from the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. But verse 39 then, we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. So whatever we do with that first paragraph, the writer is saying to his first century listeners and readers, I don't think that this is true of you. We're not that. That's not who we are. It's not who you are. We're not those who shrink away and are destroyed. We're those who have faith and preserve our souls. So, so he's saying, I don't think that of you, but, but I think of us this way. We're of those who have faith. And then, of course, from there, he launches into chapter 11, which is a wonderful look back through salvation history at men and women of faith who have persevered. Well, I want to go back to the beginning then with this little bit of a introduction to the paragraph of, of warning that starts in verse 26. This is, a, this is a doozy, this little paragraph. It's strongly worded. It's intended to be strongly worded. And whenever I read warnings like this, I draw to my mind um, dear old Harry Truman. Now, I don't mean the president. I mean the old crusty guy who lived on the mountain, Mount St. Helens, before it blew up. If you were here in the Northwest or across the country, you remember Harry Truman, a salty old guy whose words were always edited whenever they were printed because he had a particular way of expressing himself that was less appropriate for print. Well, he lived on the mountain uh, side there, and he was warned. I remember, I remember living here and watching on TV as the mountain woke up, little cracks in the glaciers and steam, and then a little bit of ash, and, and the scientists saying, hey, is this, this thing just might blow. So they were telling people to leave, and they went to hold old Harry Truman and told him to leave, and he said he wasn't going anywhere. They sent people to him. They sent all kinds. They sent the police, and this little old crusty guy wasn't going anywhere. Harry Truman, he was the legend until May 18th, when suddenly that mountain slid sideways, as you recall, and with it, uh, Harry Truman. 
Um, he was warned. Warned of the consequences. Warnings are only good if you listen and believe them and act. Okay? So this paragraph is a warning. And one of the dangers, of course, as you read warnings, is that you will dismiss it because it belongs to somebody else, that you will see it as overstatement or some other way dodge its point. And I would urge you not to do that. And uh, as you know from our previous study of warning texts in Hebrews, there's a lot of discussion about those uh, to whom it's written. Who is this for? Okay, Is this a warning written to non-believers? Is it a warning written to those who hear but don't trust Christ? Are, are, are these warnings to believers lest they lose their salvation? What exactly is, is being said here? Now, you know, uh, my understanding from Scripture is that a person cannot be truly saved and then lost. Okay, that if a person ultimately and finally is lost, it's because they never really had it to begin with, full forgiveness of sins. That's the way I understand the Scripture. You know that because that's how I preach it. I also know that those are points of some discussion. And so uh, I, I, I want us to hear the text, though. I want us to be careful not to say, this isn't talking to me. Oh, really? Let's pay attention here. So verse 26 begins very clearly stating its case. For, now it's building on the text before, for it's it's right after the day of the Lord is referred to, day of judgment, particularly, yes, believers with the Lord, uh, day of judgment, Verse twenty, verse twenty-five uh, concludes with that this awareness of the day. Then he goes right into this warning for building on that. For if we go on sinning, what is it? Deliberately. If we go on sinning deliberately, I take that to mean here, in light of the text that follows and the text that precedes, that the sinning isn't just about cheating on your income tax or whatever the case may be for you. That the sinning specifically here is about the sin of rejecting Jesus. I think that's the sin that's being referred to, okay? So if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So listen carefully. This this paragraph is being written to people who know. They've heard. They've received the knowledge of the truth, right? Right? And they, for one reason or another, have rejected that. So my title, do not reject or neglect. I see those, one active, one passive. Reject is active. Neglect could be seen as passive. Either way, if you do not respond in saving faith to the gospel of Jesus, then this warning is coming for you. This would be about you. If you go on sinning deliberately, you reject Christ, you do not bow the knee, you do not repent and believe the gospel, you do not trust Christ as your Savior. If, if that's you, if you go on sinning deliberately after hearing, you've heard, see, there is no other sacrifice for sin. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. The point of that is, if you don't trust Jesus, how do you think you're going to pay for your sin? There isn't any other method. It isn't that there's something wrong at this point with the blood of Jesus uh, to pay for your sin. It's that you've rejected the only available sacrifice. You said no to the only way by which you can be forgiven by God. So what do you have in mind? You're going to be good? Is that what you're going to do? 
Well, what day is that going to happen? And how long? We're going to give you an hour? Five minutes? How long are you going to be good? Inside and out. How long? How much do you have? And of course, as you see here on your sermon notes, apart from Christ, there's no other way to be made right with God, including your own best efforts, which I think is the default uh, faith system of, uh, of America. I, I really think it is. Maybe the human race in general. Many people, I think, uh, think that... Uh, the best way to, to, to make it to God's presence someday is really generally being nice, being good. Somebody dies and people often say, they were such a good person, I'm so glad they're in heaven. And we link together being a good person with getting into God's heaven, which the Bible says that's not it at all. Nobody can be good like that. No one's goodness can earn them a spot in heaven. All your goodness collected, if you bundled it up, collected it at the end of your life, All of your goodness couldn't buy you 30 seconds in God's heaven. It couldn't. Sometimes people think about all the bad stuff other people do. They compare themselves uh, with others and say, well, I'm better than most. I'm better than, which isn't the point at all. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is made right with God by their good works. You can't, right? Because the standard isn't be good. The standard is, Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And you've already failed that, as have I. So this text, verse 26, is very clear. If you go on sinning, that is refusing to bow the knee to Christ, trust him as your savior, after hearing the knowledge of the truth, there's no other way. There's no longer a sacrifice for sins. But look, verse 27, a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Man, doesn't that sound cheery? Wow, pay attention here, folks, right? That's what a person has to look forward to who rejects or neglects passively, actively, rejects Christ, doesn't doesn't trust Christ. Now, the writer of Hebrews appeals to his readers who know Jewish systems. That's what verse 28 is about. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's well-known, well-established Old Testament law. Two or three witnesses could send a person to death. Now, I want you to watch the build, how it builds up into the next verse. So death is in mind in verse 28. Verse 29 says, how much worse, worse punishment? Okay, what's worse? You just died in verse 28. So how much worse? Well, actually, there is something worse than physical death. Isn't there? It's standing before a holy God without the covering of the righteousness of Christ. That's worse. To stand before God and say, well, I did my best, which isn't enough. Rather than standing before a holy God and saying, I trusted the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, trusted him alone as my savior from sin. His righteousness covers me. So verse 28, my goodness sakes, anyone who dies, uh, can, uh, set aside the law of Moses, dies without mercy on two or three witnesses, how much worse do you think it will be? Wow, will be deserved. And then that line upon line, trampled underfoot the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, outraged the spirit of grace. Wow. Uh, I put in your study notes, sometimes people who reject Christ or neglect him, thus 
rejecting him as well, say something like, I want to hang out with my friends in hell. You ever heard that? Yeah, I just want to hang out with my friends in hell. This text does not support the idea that you're standing around having a good time in hell with your friends. It's not just a little party zone. No. Um, this, This is something different. And a fearful expectation of judgment and fear of a fire that will consume the adversaries. Man, that doesn't sound like something you want to endure, let alone with your friends. The warning I'm saying in verse 26 is to those who've heard. Now, verse 30 and 31, we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. The NAS in verse 31 says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, I put in your sermon notes here, we need a proper doctrine of the wrath of God against sin. Um, indeed, I think, I think this is often missing in our day when really we see that most people primarily just need a hug, and indeed they might. But when it comes to faith, they really need a proper understanding of the wrath of God. In church history, there have been those who have seen uh, the God of the Old Testament as the angry God, and the God of the New Testament as the loving God. Uh, that, that view is rightly called heresy. That is not an orthodox way of reading the Bible or understanding God. Uh, properly viewed, the God of the Bible from beginning to end is a God of wrath against sin. And from the beginning to the end, a God of great mercy. There is mercy in the Old Testament. There is grace in the Old Testament. The very sacrificial system itself is an evidence of God's mercy and grace, that there would be any kind of a way by which sin could be covered until the perfect Lamb of God would come. That's an act of God's mercy. So anyone who looks at the Old Testament says, I just, I just see God mad all the time. Well, um, the wrath of God is certainly there, but so is his mercy. Same thing in the New Testament. You say, well, where's the wrath of God in the New Testament? In addition to, say, uh, this text... I would suggest the, the, the place you see the wrath of God the most in the New Testament is, is at the cross of Jesus, where, his, where God's wrath against our sin was fully poured out on his son. And sometimes people talk about the, the cross of Jesus, as uh, you know, Jesus' death on the cross as being a good example or something else like this. Any, any speaking about Jesus' death on the cross that misses the point that Jesus absorbed the wrath of the holy God against our sin. Anybody who misses that is missing the point of the cross. There are a lot of ways to be a good example. Uh, one of our folks preaching recently, um, I forget who it was, pointed out correctly that sometimes we talk about Jesus uh, dying on the cross to show us the Father's love. And indeed, that's true, but the sentence is, is incomplete. It's more than that. You can show somebody love by sending them a Hallmark card. Uh, there, he showed us his love. That Jesus did more than just show us his love. He showed us the Father's love for us by absorbing the wrath of a holy God against our sin. So you've you, you got to get the rest of that. That's how he did it. Yes, indeed, He died on the cross as an evidence of the Father's love. Yes, because Jesus atoned. He satisfied the wrath of, the righteous wrath of God against our sin. Where's the wrath of God in the New Testament? Oh, look at the cross. And and be aware, we as people who are lawbreakers deserve, deserve punishment for our sins. And Jesus stood in the way of that. He, he, He bore our sin in his own body on the cross, the prophet said. Well, 
verses 26 to, to 31 then are a warning. And before I move to the next paragraph, I, I, I want to just let this come home to us for a minute because it, it, there is a very real danger, as with the original hearers, that some of us would do the same, that we would, we would sit in the hearing of the gospel, go to church, watch online, listen to sermons, hear, but not trust Christ as Savior. And I want to say if that's you, if you come and you listen, I'm glad you come and you listen, but if in your heart you have not bowed before God and trusted Christ as your Savior, turning away, repenting of sin, if you've not trusted Christ in him alone as your Savior from sin, man, pay attention, knock that off, and today, trust Christ as your Savior. This warning comes to you. This warning comes to you. If you do not accept Christ as your Savior, by what do you plan to atone for your sins? Do you have a plan? When you stand before a holy God, well, the Scripture says there is no other plan. There is none. There is no other way. So my call to all of us would be, that we would not neglect or reject, passively or actively reject Christ. Don't do that. No, trust Christ as your Savior from sin. Now, verses 32 to 39 then are like second paragraph, so to speak. And there's a, he turns a corner here. So warning, hear, hear the warning, heed it. But remember, remember, he says, remember the former days. So then there's a list of things. He's, he, and this paragraph is talking to people who clearly know Christ, and it's him saying, don't turn away. Don't give up. Don't walk away from faith. Persevere. Come on, child of God. Yes, the journey is long. Yes, it gets discouraging. Yes, it's hard. Yes, 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 I know. And at times you say, man, I, I just don't know if I can hang on. I just don't know. Sometimes we get waylaid by false information or accusations of Scripture. Uh, there, is a, there seems to be a, a, a rise in what people call deconversions these days, if you're paying attention to popular culture. People who would at one point in their life have, have named the name of Christ, and then at some point saying, yeah, I just don't believe it anymore. Think, hey, don't be waylaid by bad information. A lot of stuff that, that those guys write, if you read it, you go, man, who told you that? That isn't even true about the Bible. You're saying that that's true. That's not even true. Why'd you believe that? Come on. That made you get off the horse, horse of faith? What are you doing? Man, aren't you, aren't you, aren't you a better student of Scripture than that? Are you not born again ever? Were you not? No, it's, it's frustrating at times to read things that people come up with to say, well, this changed my, my view on things. You go, man, that was it? Seriously? Yeah, I've read some. I have um, extensively. So the writer here is calling those who name the name of Christ to hang in there with Jesus till the day they stand before him. Remember. So he says, if you look at the text, remember the former days when, after you were enlightened, after you came to Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Remember that? Remember, the, remember, remember the, some of the, the, the difficult seasons in your life where, where you got through by the grace of God alone. Do you remember this? Do you remember times, he says, when you were publicly, verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those who were so treated? you remember times when you paid a price for being a Christian? Do you remember this? 
Remember other times when it wasn't all easy? And you hung on to Jesus, didn't you? You hung on to Jesus. You didn't give up. Remember that, he says? You had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now, we're not told what that looked like, but apparently some of the readers had had their stuff taken because they were believers, like the moving van backed up and loaded their stuff, and they, they took it with joy rather than just racking a, you know, a 12-gauge. Um, I don't know the circumstances, but somehow they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. I, I take that point here to be not just that somebody took your stuff, but that you, at this moment they could tell the difference between what was of eternal value and what wasn't. And they knew that certain things don't matter. And so you let them go. That's what this is about. You, how can you joyfully accept the plundering of your stuff? How does that work? Well, I don't know what happened, but I, I do know this. The only way you could do that joyfully is if you knew that the stuff ultimately didn't matter. See? We're Americans. We love our stuff. You know, you make your first move when you're young, takes the back of a pickup. You know where this is going. A couple years later, you need the 12-foot U-Haul. Then a few years later, you move across the country, takes the 28-foot. And then what's the biggest one? Somebody here knows. Yeah, something big. Grandma's attic, car trailer in the back, car packed full, and send a couple of pods. We love our stuff. So apparently these folks could look back on a time in their life when some of their stuff went away, plundering of their property, and they said, let it go for the glory of God. Just let it go. Just, just let it go. Their perspective was right. That's what he's asking them to remember. Some things don't matter. And you, you knew at that point, you knew. You knew that there's a be- you have a better possession and an abiding one. My faith is worth more than that. And the eternal inheritance I have in the presence of God is worth more than all of this stuff. So just, just let, it, let it go. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence. The old song, cast not away your confidence, saith the Lord. You know, I remember that. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You have need of endurance. You remember on day one of our study in Hebrews, we turned to this text. And I took this as an example of the call of Hebrews. that runs all the way through it, that we would be people who endure. You ever feel like giving up? You ever just feel like it's too hard? You ever just feel like you need a few months off? Yeah, most people who have walked in faith for a while, they know the weariness of soul of staying at it. Now, may I say, turning away isn't a you know, barrel of monkeys either. That, that comes with a pain all its own. But, but hanging in there and working at doing the right thing and hanging on to Jesus. Yeah, I know. You have need of endurance, he says, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. So that at the, at the, you, you, you'll, cross the, you'll cross the finish line in faith. You'll cross the finish line in faith. Songwriter, Lord, let me never, never lose my love for thee. Remember that? Lord, let me never, never lose my love for thee. Yes, indeed. Now, on your sermon notes then, couple of things. I have the remembers. Remember how God has been faithful to you in the past. Remember your past hope in Christ. Remember the future reward of faith. And as you remember, endure, endure. Do not shrink back. I have to tell you, uh, th- this might help the command to remember. It is a command, by the way, in verse, in verse 32. 
remember the former days. Remember, remember, it's a command. The, the, the call to remember runs through the Bible. Yeah, the, the word remember is used 160 some times. And a couple of texts in particular uh, that I, I just want to remind you of. This is a big deal because we forget a lot. I don't mean just because as we get old, it's not about that. Although we forget, I know. We are spiritual amnesiacs. Let's put it that way. We quickly forget. So the book of Deuteronomy is a book of remembering. Deuteronomy, second telling of the law, it's Moses rehearsing. And over and over again, if you read the book of of Deuteronomy, you will see the word remember show up a lot. In fact, sometimes in repetitive redundancy. That's a joke. Because it is one. Uh, Sometimes in redundancy, you will see Moses say, remember and do not forget. See? See? It's like he's getting you twice. Remember, don't forget how the Lord led you. Remember, don't forget the deliverance from Egypt. Remember, don't forget. So that's Deuteronomy. It's there a lot. You can't read the book and not notice the the call to remember. And then if you, I'm skipping so much, Old Testament, uh, all the way to the end, uh, to the letters of the churches in the book of Revelation, the Spirit of God speaking to the churches, remember therefore from which you've fallen and Repent and do the deeds you did at first. There's a call to the churches. And then you come back to the life of Jesus as we will celebrate communion in just a few minutes. What does Jesus say? As often as you take this, eat this bread and drink this cup, remember, come on, remember the Lord's death till he come. Mixing together 1 Corinthians 11 specifically with the words of Jesus. Remember, remember me, Jesus says. And of course here. Now, in the secular world, remembering is a big deal too. And I'll just give you one little little snippet of an illustration because I think it's fun and it might help you remember. Okay, sometimes I use way too many sermon illustrations from the same movie. And, it, it, you know, it's just bad. You'd think I watch it all the time or you're going to say it's your favorite. I didn't say it was my favorite movie. I just said, it's, you know, it's got some stories to it. So in, yeah, I know, in the Santa Claus movie, um, not that I've ever watched it other, other than every year, uh, in the Santa Claus movie, there's a moment, and you have to, you have to understand the, the setting and all of that, where dad and son, they end up going to the North Pole, really, and, and dad, well, he becomes Santa, really, the Santa Claus, hence the name of the movie, sort of. And there's a moment, there's a moment toward the, uh, anyway, you can find it on YouTube. You just Google it, you'll get it, um, as I have done. There's a moment where dad is forgetting, and he's starting to think things like, is it all just a dream? Is it really real? Is it, I mean, did we really go to the North Pole? Am I really Santa Claus? I mean, come on. And Charlie, his young son, calls him out. And he says, dad, command form, remember And at that moment, he tosses him the snow globe that Charlie received from Bernard, the elf. There are elves there in the movie. Bernard has given Charlie the the snow globe, and he tosses it to his dad. His dad grabs it, and he looks at it. Right then, he sees, as it's supposed to do, Santa's sleigh go around. And he says, thank you, Charlie. Thank you. It's this text in a secular version Child of God, remember. Remember and don't fall away. Don't give up. Remember. 
Remember what? Remember the death and burial of Jesus, his death on the cross for your sin, his rising from the dead. Remember? Remember the price of your salvation? Remember this? Remember in verse 25, there's a day. There's a day, the day of the Lord. Prophets have spoken of it. There's coming a day, this whole season that the prophets speak about that involves God bringing justice, judgment. This is after the rapture of the church. Later on, day of the Lord. Wow, the day of the Lord. There's coming that day. Things wrong will be made right. Remember? Remember this? And so this text walks us through all kinds of things. Remember how God's cared for you in the past? Remember times when he saw you through? Remember times when there's no good reason for you to have made it except the mercy of God? Remember that? Well, then don't give up. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't surrender. Don't get sluggish in your faith. Chapter 6, verse 12. Remember, remember. That's my call to you today. For those who are maybe waffling a bit, never maybe trusted Christ, believe. Look at my part there called responding to God's word, that little section in your sermon notes. Believe. If you've, if you've hung around a church family and enjoyed the fellowship and support and never have trusted Christ, do it now. Do it today. Trust Christ as your Savior. It doesn't have to be big fancy. You don't have to write a you know, 10-page paper on this. It's a response of your heart to God saying, God, I know I've done stuff I shouldn't have done. It's called sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I really do believe that. I really do believe Christ died in my place. He did. Rose from the dead. Man, believe him. Trust Christ in him alone. Again, it doesn't have to be fancy. But respond to God. Pursue. Pursue what? Other believers. There's other people who need you. Pursue other people. Build their faith. There may be others who are thinking, man, I'm just, I'm just I don't know, kind of tired. I'm going to take a few months off, maybe longer. Just step back. Man, who's supposed, to, who's supposed to knock on their door? Who's supposed to check on them? Well, you. Pursue. Pursue other believers. And then endure. Hold on to faith. Hold on to hope. Nurture your faith. As we saw last week, hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. So hang in there. Don't give up. So this text then moves right into chapter 11. You need some examples of people who've done this? The writer says, let me show you some. Let me show you some men and women of old who said, no, it is worth it to follow Christ. And they did through thick and thin and learn from their example. Let's follow them. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. We'll spend a few weeks there. It's, it really is a good, good text. Really good. I want to pray for us. And then we're going to step into a time of remembering. Remembering Christ in his death on the cross. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for this time in God's word. Thank you for this portion of scripture. Uh, so good that we look at it together. So good that we hear the warnings. It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And how we thank you that as those who have been bought by the blood of Christ, we'll never have to face the wrath of God. Christ did for us on the cross. Thank you for this. Father, I pray for any who may be at that, right at that point of decision. They've heard, they've listened, they've heard the gospel. Oh, Father, would you push them over that tipping point where they'd say, yes, I do trust Christ. I'm trusting him as my savior now. Their hearts would cry out to you the best they know how to trust Christ as their savior and to do it today. 
And Lord, for all of us, point us to Christ as as the greatest reason to endure, to persevere in faith. God grant it. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, we invite those of you who know Christ as your Savior to share with us in remembering Christ in the time of communion. The way we do that these days, of course, the three communion stations that are here, um, the, the, the cup and the juice are double cupped, so you want to take both as you come. And the way we do this these days is instead of passing trays, as we invite you who would like to participate with us to make your way from the outer sections down those aisles to those settings over there, and then back up these two aisles this direction. And these sections, if you'd make your way this way, if one section runs out, there's, you'll find other supplies at another place. And I would invite you to serve someone near you if you would like. Perhaps there's someone near you who's mobility impaired, and you could serve them uh, or the person who might be with you. Um, but come and take those, uh, those items and then come back to your seat. I'll say just a word or two, and we'll remember Christ together. All right, invite you to come. Seems that about any page you turn to in the book of Hebrews, you are presented with a picture of Jesus. Without apology, I want to return for this moment to chapter 7, verse 25, where following a big presentation on the sacrifice of Jesus for our sin as the greater high priest. The writer says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save completely to the uttermost time and extent. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. The little cracker, little piece of bread, points us to the body of Christ, broken for us, beaten beyond recognition, nailed to that cross of wood. He did that for us. We remember him together. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus died on the cross, bore our sin, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, where he makes intercession for us. Part of the work of Christ we perhaps don't think about as much as we should I am reminded in this in this setting of Jesus' words to Peter right before Peter denied Christ where Jesus says, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail and when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. I love that text. Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. How much we need the prayers, so to speak, the intercession of the Son of God on our behalf, that our faith would not fail. Lord, make it so for me. The little cup of juice points us to the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's remember him 
together. And it is good that we pray together at the conclusion of this time. So would you stand with me, please, as we do that? Our Father, we honor you and worship you today. We thank you for our great Savior, the greatest of all, our Savior Jesus. We thank you for the call today in Scripture not to turn away to persevere in faith until the day that we stand with you. Father, I pray that you would enable each of us to do that, not by our own strength, but by yours. We are not up for that battle. We desperately need you to to, to give us what we need. Reminded of one of the great writers of old who said, command what you will, O God, but give what you command. That is, we need, we need you. We do. So help us today, even in this week ahead, to point our feet toward Christ. Whatever needs and burdens people walked in here today with, oh, Father, meet us with those and grant us grace to live for you. Give your help. Thank you for these things and for these dear people. In Jesus' name, amen.